And that's the dirty little secret that everyone keeps from everyone. Any guru that talks about building a personal brand online will tell you it's all about the content and they won't tell you that the actual secret, that's 50% of the job, but they pretend like it's 100% of the job. The other 50% is distribution. That's Dan spilling the secrets on building your personal brand. This is the stuff that doesn't get talked about but makes the difference. If you're British, or just happen to be like me, you might be thinking, well, this is a waste of time, because even the thought of building a personal brand is icky. I get it. I can't bring myself to post. But today we're going to find out why I'm probably a mug. This is Secret Leaders, and I'm Will Stolman, the head of podcasts here at Kindling Media. Today, our usual host, Dan, is going to explain why building your personal brand is something you should think about and how to do it well. Dan just passed 150,000 followers. And this is honestly one of the things that impresses me most about him. How does he run three businesses whilst being that active on social? He's everywhere. We're going to lay out some of the key steps to success and how you can do it alongside your day job. Plus, at the end of the episode, we're going to reveal those dirty little secrets which can give you a leg up over the market. But first of all, I've got to know, is it even worth it? Mm, is it worth it? It's a great question. I think a good way to start the the theory of it is, you know, is, is actually by saying that everyone has a personal brand. It's just your reputation. Before the age of social media, that was exclusively reserved for people on TV or in the media or, you know, highly revered specialists, authors, you know, famous CEOs, Jeff Bezos, etc, etc. But now with social, unless you like exclusively set everything to private or anonymous, you can just assume that your personal brand is being discovered and judgments are getting made about you, whether that's fair or not, whether you like it or not. You know, I've thought about it over the years. I think you, you have some choices, obviously. You can accept that and you can do the bare minimum about it. People are going to find your profile and content and they're going to think what they want. You can do something about it and you can start to think about how to craft the external vision of what you want to be known for. And that can be very different personally to professionally, right? How you show up on Instagram can be super different to how you show up on LinkedIn. At a bare minimum, you curate what you post and make sure that at least the descriptions of you on bios, right? You know, like, you know, that actually represents what you want people to think about you because first impressions count and that's going to be essentially your digital landscape for your first impression. Another option is you can craft a more conscious narrative about what you actually want to be known for and start to build an audience who are interested in your opinions and your personal journey. Or you can do what I'm currently doing, like taking that next step and actively decide to grow an audience and become a content creator, which is taking it more seriously and giving it more thought, really trying to hone in on not just the content you want to be known for, but also the people that you want to discover you, aka your audience. Those different stages are viable at different times in someone's life. So the context for these thoughts today, when we're chatting really, I think they're focused more on our audience at Secret Leaders, right? So uh, ambitious professionals who are either founders or working hard to build their careers and build a personal brand along the way versus people who can just commit to being full-time content creators, right? So I think it's really important to sort of know who you're talking to. And in this example, that's exactly what I'm defining and also where you are on that journey. So for me, I've certainly gone through all four stages of what I just described. And I've only gone from stage three, which is 
you know, actively posting more about my journey, things like building in public with heights, to suddenly trying to take that step of understanding, okay, well, what is a content creator, so to speak? What does that really mean? And that's kind of where I'm at at the moment in that current journey. Awesome. And so what would be some of your favorite examples of how building your personal brand has benefited you? What is the value? Because often you're spending a lot of time on this thing. What is the, what is the payoff for people? Obviously different for different, um, different people. Like there are some really obvious ones to me. I met my main investor doing Secret Leaders. Um, she's become a super close friend. You know, I met her on this show, you know, and, and so Heights has benefited massively from putting myself out there to an extent and creating content, which is obviously what Secret Leaders is. Similarly, you know, the reason I was invited on Diary of a CEO with Stephen, you know, other than he'd already been on Secret Leaders and we were the first podcast he ever went on, other than stuff like that, is that because I post about my mental health on social media, because I post about not just having the sort of shiny, everything's perfect vibe and building in public and talking about all the challenges, because I have chosen an approach with my personal brand, which is to be vulnerable and show up in that sort of messy middle of how things really are. He really resonated with that content and he sees that, right? So I think one of the unintended consequences, you don't even know who's looking. And the perfect example, like Stephen doesn't like my posts. He doesn't comment. Like, so you wouldn't objectively know that he's looking or watching or whatever, but he messages and he's like, do you want to come on Diary of a CEO and talk about this stuff? Because I find it really interesting. So that's a perfect example of you really don't know who's watching and that can be a positive and a negative, right? Obviously your employers might be watching, your future employers might be watching. All of that is true. So you might want to be conscious of how you show up. But I think that the sort of serendipity of sort of leaning into what you're trying to express to the world um, can create an amazing opportunity. There's also... I'd say on the other side of things like where where there's a positive, and I, I do think this is really true, it's sort of in the, uh, the area of self-discovery, like identity, really understanding what you stand for and what you don't. That might sound really weird, but going into the content creation process, like let's just say writing a post on LinkedIn, by the time you're done writing it, you have quite a clear idea of, okay, what am I really trying to say to the world? What do I care about? So if you compare two people, me and you, just for the sake of it, because I go through the process of writing my thoughts down on LinkedIn and understanding that they're going to be met with feedback, be met with the cold reality of an audience who might have opinions and thoughts on what I'm trying to say, and they will be making assumptions about me as a human being and what I think. Because of all of these things, I'm honing and crafting and understanding a viewpoint of how I see the world and how I want other people to think about how I see the world, which is making me think about what am I really trying to say? And therefore, what do I really think? And I'm not saying that you don't think, but what I'm saying is that is a repetitive daily process that forces a conscious question about what am I trying to say? What do I think? What is interesting? What is not? And I will go through that process more so often than you will on the basis of my content's going to see the light of day in front of people. So I have to think about how am I going to formalize my thoughts down? So there's also a benefit, like, you know, talk about the positives. There's a benefit in sharing your journey of the thoughts, the things that you're learning about and you're curious about in the world and them seeing the cold light of day of reality of people who are questioning your values, questioning your judgment and challenging you. And those things also are character building, you know, jokes aside, and I've had my fair share of trolls, 
they all give you an opportunity to learn something, right? They are an opportunity to grow. Like me trying not to react defensively to a pointless troll on the internet who's just trying to wind me up. You wouldn't think that I would say that's a positive side of growing a personal brand because it sure as hell feels negative, but it is a growth opportunity. Like I should know better than to rise to that kind of bait and yet I still do. And so I get to reflect on those moments sometimes as well and think, oh, wow, there's still like it really is a little child in me, isn't there? Like just loves to be wound up and can't rise above it. I've got work to do. Yeah, I think that's I think that makes complete sense that, you know, it forces you to sort of organize your thoughts and your thinking. And then I think for context for our audience as well, I know that, um, you know, Diary of a CEO, great bit of press, but it also led to it was a good return on investment, should we say, because it led to, you know, bumps in customers for heights when you were in your infancy and stuff like that. So that is real demonstrable value occurring years down the line, basically after you've first made that social online connection with with Stephen and didn't even know about it. Totally. And and credibility, like on that note, Will, you know, there's been quite a lot of people who on our journey building heights have joined the bandwagon, so to speak, from, you know, Russell Brand and Stephen Fry and, you know, all of these amazing people. And like, there's a bunch I can't talk about currently that we're speaking to um right now who are even bigger names than that and you know what's the first thing someone does you're trying to speak to them they go and have a look at who you are how do you show up in the world what can they find out about you is there a sense of trust is there a a vibe that you can give them as a starting point i actually think that there's you know the the very fact that the things that i talk about are authentic they're my actual beliefs and they show up in the form of you know, criticizing shit entrepreneurs and hustle culture and trying to, you know, push for more sense and balance and entrepreneurship and, and health and well-being, they will go in and see that those are the things that I stand for. And they don't care whether I'm famous or not. They'll just see here's someone that's fighting the good fight on the things that align with their values and be like, well, I could work with this guy. So there are all those like little touch points, those little moments of when you're trying to build a reputation for the product, service, or brand that you're building as a business owner and the unintended consequences that come from how you show up on social and who is seeing it. And they're all forming ideas about who am I about to enter into a business relationship with? This is like essentially trying to remove the guesswork from them. This is almost like trying to force your ideal persona and values and beliefs on that person to do part of the sales message for you rather than leave them with doubt and mystery and concern and having to figure out whether or not this is worth their time this is like actually in many ways like time saving in those kind of in those aspects right you're enabling someone to say come peek inside the shop window of my soul i will bear an aspect of it. And hopefully I'll be able to penetrate the insight into your brain about what I'd like you to think about me. Yeah. Yeah. And before we get into sort of the practicalities of how you build a personal brand, you've just described some of the positive, why you should do it. What are the, some, what are the, some of the downsides to it? Are there any hidden downsides that you weren't really expecting? So our listeners understand the, the potential cost. Well, I mean, I talked about trolls as an upside, but there's a downside. I think one thing that's really interesting is understanding once you've had a few negative experiences, like your comments, listeners that follow me will know that I got hacked. I got hacked and like there was a Bitcoin scam that ran through my account on Instagram and 
Instagram is shocking at trying to uh, actually help you resolve through this. And, you know, these are things that happen to you if you build an audience. You do become a target, right? And you you have a target on your back because people know that you're building a reputation of trust. And if they believe that you have followers that trust you, they will do what they can to manipulate that. So that's a big downside. Another downside is just the reality that once you start on the hedonic treadmill of trying to build an audience and grow followers, you start to step into, or certainly, let me speak from personal experience, I definitely start to step into some quite negative behaviors. So lots of things I've tried to learn out of start to creep in. So if you get a viral post on Twitter, I mean, it's just impossible. The dopamine hit is just so high. I just cannot help myself but just like re-scroll every like 15 minutes to see how many new likes and followers I've got. You know, there was a recent tweet that I did on Elon Musk and, you know, I gained, I don't know, three or 4,000 followers off one post and 13 million impressions. And... I mean, it went so completely viral and that was just a really addicting feeling. And that's not a positive thing because actually you spin out into some embarrassing, uh, clout chasing, hungry, you know, you should be better than this, but you're not lower level of yourself. I haven't yet got myself into a better place around how to do that. And I think that's because the novelty of having a few hits, you work so hard to get some attention ultimately for your content to resonate with people that when it finally comes, you, you suddenly get sucked into a whole addictive nature of it. So that's certainly a downside. And then the other thing is comparison. You know, they say comparison is the thief of joy, but absolutely when you're starting to try and actively build audience on your personal brand, I certainly speak from experience when I say a lot of the time I will post what I think is a very similar as high quality content as someone else on say LinkedIn about my lived experience from someone who, you know, I might be comparing someone who has one year's experience in the job market versus me and we're saying almost identical things. And that person will go completely viral and I'll get like five likes. And then I, what is the objective difference between these two things? It's virtually impossible to say. The only thing is I actually have far more experience to share and no one cares and no one likes me. And you go into that downward spiral of actually questioning why you're doing it all and why no one cares about what you think. And it sucks. It sucks. And actually spent a lot of time, you know, trying to build up my confidence and trying to, especially this year, like my word for the year is confidence. It's been a real struggle this year because my word for the year was confidence and I had to let half my team go in January. And I just started the year off the first three months was so low and so negative that I delayed my whole, you know, I want to grow my personal brand thing. I just delayed it all because I just felt bad and embarrassed and awkward. And so there's a lot of the sort of negative moments that happen in your life. And then also the little micro moments of people not engaging with your content and not liking it, even though you put time and effort into it, that make you feel bad about yourself and make you not want to show up the next day. So that, I'd say that's a regular negative thing. It happens to me a few times a week. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. 
But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. I get that. I get that. I mean, as you know, I'm not really on social and that's honestly one of the primary reasons why. You know, you'd post something, you'll put your post on me, you're like, oh, am I going to get like, how many people are going to like it? It's just ridiculous. I don't want to feel like that. Um, so that is definitely, yeah. Because, because you're protecting your ego, Will. Yeah, I want to feel good. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. But this is the interesting thing. Like, so I have a slightly different motivation in, in a sense. I, you know, I like to say I do anyway, whether or not it's true. You are protecting your ego and it's a natural thing to do. The ego wants protection. Whereas I am trying simultaneously to be on a spiritual journey where I am open-minded to having my ego battered to shit because I think I'll come through the other side better. And so I put myself in these situations more consciously and I tell myself the narrative going into them that this will be good for me because another opportunity to sort of reflect on how it makes me feel and why it makes me feel like that and to not be taking myself so seriously and, you know, not to be so defensive and all of the other things. However, in the cold light of day, I then still react exactly the same way that you would react, which is I feel embarrassed. I feel shame. I feel like, why did I put myself through this? And I feel like I don't want to do it again. Getting into the practicalities of this, someone wants to build their personal brand. You know, there's obviously a spectrum of how much effort they could put into it, but you got to know an area uh, type of content that you're going to be focusing on. So how do you find your topic? I mean, look, you should always start from some aspect of your own lived experience. So in my lived experience, you know, I'd had this sort of ex- uh, amazing experience with mental health and nutrition. So, and that was an area that I was deeply curious about and I was learning actively about. And so there's a saying in neuroscience, which is if you read something, you learn it once, but if you share it, you learn it twice, cementing new neural pathways in your brain. So it's the best way to learn. So I've always taken that as a really great framework to think about, okay, what should I be 
posting about on social or in my newsletter or whatever, or quite often it's the thing where I'm most curious and I have the most to learn. Because learning something the way that I, you know, for example, the way that I was building my newsletter, I was reading science papers. Well, that's boring. I happen to be interested enough in the science papers, but boy, were they dull and boring. The art of rewriting those science papers and turning it into plain English in this newsletter was the real skill that I was honing. And the art that I was sort of projecting at that point to gain followers or subscribers to the newsletter was the ability to turn jargon and complex science into something that was readable and fun. And by the very nature of doing it, I was learning way more. It was really cementing in my brain because I was finding a way to tell stories. You know, this is all a wall of text and I'm figuring out what's the narrative arc here that I can tell. That's valuable for me and it's valuable to other people. So I think there's a really uh, valuable insight there, which is just about, you know, to pick a topic you want to talk about, it's great to share something you're learning about. So a more recent example is, you know, with AI. Everyone's learning about AI and if you're not, you bloody well should be. And I was like, well, Twitter is a great place for me to be learning in public. So I'm trying all of these AI tools. I'm messing around with it for a few hours a day to see how it can make me more productive in every different aspect of my life. Why wouldn't I be trying to then figure out how I can turn this into a story? I'm literally messing around with it for two to three hours, but by stringing together the things that I'm doing into a Twitter thread, for example, and then a LinkedIn carousel, but the art of knowing that I'm going to have to share my process with other people, I'm going to be, by the very nature, tightening up that narrative process and tightening up my own process to make sure that I'm actually learning it in a way that's good to teach. And that's really valuable for me. And it's really valuable for other people as well. So I would say that like a really, a really strong recommendation is if you are looking for a topic to share with people, pick something that you're passionate about, pick something that you're curious about and start learning in public. Like the very process of creating the narrative arc and narrative framework will actually probably create good content for you. Another approach incidentally is picking things that are trending, right? So it's a very different thing, but at the end of the day, there's sort of two sides to it. One is like quality content that's sort of sharing what you're interested in. And then another is trying to build like uh, a bigger audience faster. And there's always going to be more attention going on the trending thing. So I'm not saying that that is necessarily like a credible way to grow, but certainly in my experience, for example, I mentioned earlier, I did an Elon Musk thread when he changed to X and it blew up. It's one of the most popular Twitter threads around at the time, 13 million views in about 48 hours. Like it really blew up. And the reality is I'm no Elon Musk expert, but I picked a topic that I knew was trending. I knew was interesting. I knew people were going to be talking about. I found a really valuable way to create a narrative arc through it. And I got lots of attention and I picked up a few thousand followers in 48 hours, which is more followers than most of my valuable content. So I think there's one of the things when you're trying to learn about building engagement versus building audience, you kind of have to have little hacks for both and not all content is going to do both things. So you need to be a little bit more flexible. That's one of the things I've learned this year, a little bit flexible with your approach to how to build an audience. Sometimes you have to do the thing that's in the zeitgeist, even if it isn't like one of your core topics, right? That's not about mental health or nutrition. I don't really care that much about Elon Musk. I think he's interesting as much as the next person, but it worked. And now I have more followers and I can educate them with the things that I want to say.
Okay, so can you summarize for our listeners uh, the key tactics, the key methods for finding their topic? Yeah, absolutely. One is where you're most curious, right? So the most obvious thing is where you're most curious. Is there a place where you're trying to learn at the moment? You're guaranteed to make more interesting and valuable content if you're really passionate and interested in this topic as well. Number two, actually, you know, things in the zeitgeist. So things that are trending. Um, If you want to build audience and engagement and more eyeballs on something, pick something that people are interested in right now. So actually follow the trends and try to figure out how your topics and your curiosity aligns with that zeitgeist. That is going to create the best, most viral content you possibly can. And then third, obviously, seeing as we're speaking to professionals, busy professionals, write content about your niche, about your sector expertise. If you're in HR, write about HR. If you're in technology, write about technology. If you're in sustainability, share in sustainability. Just know that you don't have to stick to that thing all of the time. Ideally, if you're trying to build a personal brand around reputation, engagement, and audience, it should probably be a mix of those three things. That's what I've learned so far this year. So you've passed 150k followers, which is a huge accomplishment. I'd love to know what tactics you've used to help that growth. What what has been most effective? The most obvious one, like everyone will tell you anyway, which is true, is consistency. So, you know, there's there's many videos that you can watch that do go viral, which is, you know, how do you grow? And you've got someone talking about how they'll create 10 videos a day versus someone else who creates one video a day and one of their 10 goes viral and brings in most of their viewers. And so they're doing that seven days a week. And so there's a big difference, obviously, between the people who are full-time content creating and really able to not just hack the algorithm, but also find the bangers, find the bangers that are the right uh, message for the right audience and really get the right reach. So if you're only posting once a week, or you're posting once a day, or you're posting 10 times a day, there probably is going to literally be a forcing function of how fast you grow and how you reach people. A side of it is, you know, actually, how are you able to focus on your priorities? So for a lot of people, and this is one of the things I struggle with, a lot of the people that I compare myself to, they're actually full-time or part-time creators. You know, they have far less daily responsibilities than I do. They're not running companies full time. But yeah, I still compare my results to their results. So that's something that I'm learning slowly to stop doing. It's really hard to do because objectively I see success and I want to emulate success. But from a practical point of view, I know that they're putting in more effort into their content and they're putting out more regularly and they're really trying to spend their time honing in on how to make it win versus me. I'm trying to fit in the content creation process into my existing busy life, busy schedule and three businesses that I run along with being a dad. So I sort of give myself these unrealistic expectations about it, but I still feel like showing up at least five times a week has been a big step change for me. Last year, I used to do maybe a couple of threads on Twitter a week and two or three posts on LinkedIn. and maybe two or three posts on Instagram. This year, it's almost every day. And that's the major major difference. And so how, which would be your next question, is scheduling. So making sure that everything is done, you know, for the content creation process with video, I set aside one day a month currently, and I record everything in one go. With Twitter and with LinkedIn, one Every Monday, basically, I go through all the stuff that I want to publish and schedule for the week. 
and I do it all in one go. So one of the things that I've learned about myself is if I don't have a rigorous process or a system like that, it's never going to happen. Like my life is far too chaotic and I've got really poor discipline to do it any other way. So unless I like literally stick those things in my calendar and force myself to do them then and there, they don't get done. And so the consistency fails. So if you want to build a bigger audience faster, you're going to have to put out more content. And if you want to put out more content, but you're constrained by time, you're going to have to get good at scheduling and protecting the time that you actually have in that creative process to make sure that the content you're doing is great. Okay, so consistency, obviously very important, getting on top of the op side, the scheduling, running your calendar. What are some other tactics that our listeners might not have heard of that you've used to unlock growth? Yeah, well, I think there's one of those sayings, right, about your, you know, you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. So over the last few years running a business, you know, I've obviously tried to surround myself with business people who understand investors or ops or e-commerce or whatever that thing is. And this year, wanting to, for example, grow LinkedIn, I've decided to reach out to people who I can objectively see, you know, relative strangers include and friends alike who I can see are doing a really good job of growing LinkedIn and asking them, how have you done it? And some of those people are like, you know, super generous and like, let's jump on a call. I love what you do. And I'd love to tell you. And some people are like, yeah, I sell this course. It's, you know, $150. And I do this coaching call that's like $500. And you're like, ugh, you know, part of me is like, oh, the ick. Like, how could you live with yourself like that? And the other part of me is like, wait a minute, this is this guy's job. And this guy's done a great job of this. And actually, I need to get over myself because I am literally looking for the answers that this person personally has demonstrated visibly that he can do exponentially better than me, which is precisely the approach I take in business when I'm looking to upskill myself in any kind of area. So... I I sort of go through the psychological motions of like, how dare this person charge me loads of money and send me a a fucking PDF to suddenly being like, wait a minute, that's exactly what I need and what I want. So I've actually probably invested so far this year, $1,500 in coaching on different social media platforms with different teachers. That's actually been super valuable because it's provided me both with process ideas and things that I didn't already know, but also sort of like little hacks and little tweaks to things and, you know, like... They're all obvious things now, but even just like changing my banner on LinkedIn, which previously said, you know, it had a screenshot of Secret Leaders at number one and Tim Ferriss at number two. And they're like, look, that's super credible, but people that go to your profile don't have the context. And so what are you actually teaching them? And so now it says, you know, follow me to learn about AI, mental health and leadership. And that is a much better call to action banner. And so more people that visit my profile after I've created good content actually convert to follow me. So little hacks like that, and you collect all these, you know, sort of Dave Brailsford 1% marginal gains, you collect a lot of these 1% marginal gains from all these different teachers. And before you know it, things are starting to compound and starting to work. You know, I ran A-B tests on my Twitter profile and little things like serial entrepreneur to five times entrepreneur to angel investor, like in the first few words and what was converting better. And I would have thought angel investor because it's about money and people love money, but actually 5X entrepreneur was the winner by a country mile. So it's really interesting because you learn these things that other people do to understand the game is the same on personal brand like it is actually on e-commerce, right? Which is you build traffic, you try to get them to click, you get them to the next journey, you get them to, you know, essentially through the funnel. 
And so I've been learning that by investing in different teachers. Yeah, so one thing that I found, I found really helpful from one of these teachers, by the way, is getting a teardown. So getting someone to literally tell me, what, what do you think about my content? Um, and by the way, I'm not sensitive. And so just, just fucking tell me, tell me how it is, bro. I got a good, a good earful on essentially most of my content. So much of my content was about me. Um, here's what I'm doing. We're building this at heights. This is our next thing. I'm so proud of our team, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, cool. But algorithms on social media that are designed for virality and therefore reach are all about information that can make other people learn something new and sound smart to other people. So if you think about the content that you're currently sharing, it's great at engaging your current audience and building a deeper relationship with your current audience, but it will never reach a new audience because people outside of your current network aren't going to share it. And if you want your content to reach people outside of your current network, you've got to create value that when they retweet or repost or share to their stories makes their followers think, hmm, Will's a smart guy. Look at the kind of content he's into. Look at the stuff he follows. And so a really good example I've personally noticed is most of my carousels on LinkedIn are all about neuroscience of the brain and leadership habits or neuroscience on the brain and X. So it's actually, you know, scientific in nature and therefore making people seem like they're into science and they're smart too, but it's still relevant to professionals. Those posts are the ones that have gone viral on LinkedIn and ones that are much more, you know, much more obvious or, you know, just less likely to be shared um, with other networks. And the ones that are more about me, just naturally have far less reach. So it's been a really good self-awareness piece on what is the purpose of your content? Why do people want to share this? What would you advise someone who's getting in this not to do? It is really tricky because it obviously depends on your on your stage and your job and a whole bunch of other things. So I'll caveat it comfortably. However, I think it's important not to take yourself too seriously. Like it's definitely a test and learn process. Your ego gets damaged badly. And the reality is there's always someone bigger than you. So when you've got 150,000 followers, you just wonder why you don't have a million. When you've got a million, you don't have 10 million. When you've got 10 million, you don't have 100 million. And when you've got 100 million, you don't have 500 million. So it's actually really the sort of awareness that that's always going to be the reality unless you're actually having fun with it. I think it's helpful to define some kind of purpose for it. So for example, because I didn't really have a purpose for my personal brand um, on social media, like my purpose previously was to build an audience for heights. And that made me really good at it, by the way, like, because I was like, it's all or nothing. That's my startup. It's got to exist from zero to one. And I got to get it off the ground. And it's starting with a newsletter. I did it super well. And I built a really great engaged newsletter that's turned into a really good business that I love because I was all in. And I was super clear that personal brand can just come later. Like I'm just going to funnel people here in you know, last year when I was sort of like, I want to do more in my personal brand because I think it's interesting, but I didn't really have a defined purpose for why I wanted to do it. Um, it didn't go anywhere. So I sort of, yeah, I got sort of stressed. That I wasn't really moving forward with building audience. My content wasn't really getting engaged, but I wasn't really clear about what I wanted to share and I wasn't really enjoying the process. And so as a result, it bombed and I didn't really go anywhere with it all of last year. And this year, because I have a kind of, you know, a clearer idea of what I'm trying to say 
and the fact that I'm like pushing boundaries. So again, my word for the year was confidence. I'm trying to get outside my comfort zone. I don't like video, right? I've had a podcast for years. You've like dragged me into YouTube, which is something that we've always known is going to happen this year. That's also being a forcing function for knowing that's where the world goes. You've got to do video content. I don't enjoy that so much. I don't actually like looking at myself on video as much because I have all the insecurities and hangups that, you know, many people do. So all of this is framed for me as a growth opportunity that has helped me try and have more fun with it and try to have a more holistic approach to the why behind why I'm doing it. So would you say it's it's really important basically to define your purpose, why you're doing it, and you basically made that mistake in the past and it means you run out of steam? Yeah, I think it's also, you know, it's important to define your purpose, why you're doing it and what your sort of goals are. But also to just say, if I'm, if I don't really care, I'm just doing it because I, I'm trying to create some content and I quite enjoy that process and you genuinely mean it, then don't get frustrated if you're not having an outsized outcome from that. And I think the one thing that I really understood this year is the people who grow their personal brands properly, they treat it like their number one priority. And life is all about what you prioritize. You cannot prioritize your family and your business along the same line. You prioritize one or the other at different times of your life, and that can switch. When you're talking about your personal brand, for some people, their personal brand is their business. So it's their income stream. So every single thing that they think about is how to build an audience that they can monetize through their personal brand. And then people like me watch them get jealous and wonder why I'm not doing as good a job. And I forget that the answer is because I'm spending 90% of my time at heights, 10% of my time at secret leaders, and it leaves very little time on that equation to invest in personal brand. And so it's also about trying to understand not just what your purpose is, but who are you comparing to and what is your real priority? If you genuinely are aligned with your priorities, then hopefully those priorities will create the outcome in life that you want. And there's always going to be time to build your personal brand or invest more heavily into it after. And there's also the fact that it can be your second or third priority. But then don't be surprised that the results are like it would be when something is second or third important. So Dan, I've always been impressed by your ability to run three businesses and at the same time it looks like you're never off social media and now you've passed 150k followers so my question is how do you juggle all of this how do you produce so much content alongside uh running three businesses how do you do it okay so the honest answer is other than tools and scheduling it's people so I obviously think if I had a lot of time, I would do everything myself, but I don't. And so I've got, you know, two or three partners that I work with to help streamline the process. So I have a ghostwriter that I work with. And basically between ChatGPT, my voice notes and my messages, he actually produces like these ideas for content for me. To review every week. So, you know, I mentioned like on Monday, I had the sort of content production period, you know, I have a couple of hours. Well, I get to go through that content throughout the day on Monday, hone it all, right? Make sure it's in my tone of voice, make sure it's what I'm trying to say. You know, a really good example actually is, you know, um, just today I posted a, a carousel on how uh, like the latest multivitamin research and how it's good for your brain. Like, 
there was an article that went out last week. I put it on Heights' LinkedIn. I put it on my LinkedIn. It's the new research on how multivitamins can improve your brain health and your focus and your energy. Um, it's a double-blind control placebo study, so it's like gold standard, but it's a very dense scientific piece of content. So I shared it with him and I shared my thoughts and he wrote a thread for me and it was like 50% good, but it still needed loads of editing, right? But a good point is like, if I had to do 100% of it, I probably just would never get round to it. So the fact that he did like, you know, he turned it into 50% of what I needed and then we used ChatGPT and then I edited it and then I, I got it done. Man, it went out as a tweet thread. It got a couple of hundred thousand impressions and stuff that gets over 150,000 impressions on Twitter usually turns gets turned into a LinkedIn carousel for me. So that content that works gets to live on. But that's the perfect example of me finding a piece of content or a news article or something that's new and important and relevant in my space, in my topics, in my content sphere, the places where I think I have authority to speak on. And that's the process I run for that. When we get to the video side, I work with a company called Brightshift and especially a guy called Toby who's helped us on Secret Leaders. Um, so he used to do all of our video content before we hired Johnny. Um, the reality is he comes to me one like one Saturday every month, he sends me, actually we send each other lots of, you know, the things that work best for me on Instagram and TikTok at the moment actually are reaction videos. So throughout the month in my doom scrolling moments at night, when I find absolute tools on the internet, like Grant Cardone talking about entrepreneurship with some kind of authority, I send them to him. I'm like, so usually with a, a voice note or something, just like, this is bollocks. This is what I'd say. Another thing that we've been doing as well is actually collecting in which funny enough is one of our podcast ideas originally, but toxic bosses, like bad, bad business stories. So we've been collecting in stories of people so that I can sort of take them down. Um, right. So like bad example, examples of employees acting badly. That's like a, just a, a process that happens throughout the month. Like if I find content that I kind of resonate with that triggers something in me for a reaction, I send it to him and I send my opinions and then he scripts it. And then when we do the production day, we just film it all in one go and he edits it and then it gets scheduled for me by them. And I don't really touch any of it whatsoever. Now, the truth is, and this is the totally honest, vulnerable part. I get a salary from secret leaders of £4,000 a month. From that, it goes into my personal brand business account, which is Murray Serta Limited. From that, I pay basically £4,000 pretty much monthly out on all the support that I can get for building a personal brand. So I guess what I'm trying to do is build a, a funnel that's like a long-term investment in me. I'm creating content here. I'm taking something out of Secret Leaders after years of not doing it, uh, officially a paid colleague on the on the team. But instead of like taking the money for myself or doing whatever I might do with it, I'm investing it back in myself to commit to the process. I think one of the reasons that I'm doing that, other than time, I don't have the time to do it all myself. And if I did have the time to do it all myself, I might actually do it because it'd be fun to learn. But the other reason is because when you're actually really paying for, when you're paying that much money as well to be growing a personal brand, it's almost a signal to you that you're taking it seriously, right? It's a lot of money to be spending every single month on trying to build an audience. When it doesn't work, which is most months, it feels very stressful. And it puts sort of pressure on you to actually make it important. Like I said to myself at the start of the year, this is important to me. What am I going to do about it? And I decided on this process. Secret leaders will pay me money. 
and I will pay out on my personal brand. Another way we could do it, obviously, is just Kindling Media just pays for all of this itself. But I think that's when stuff's maybe got murky. And so we decided that this was like the cleanest process because I can just decide how to allocate that money and we don't have to faff about it. So that's just being really honest, right? I'm spending a lot of money on outsourcing as much as I can. Makes absolute sense. I think that's um, one of those little secrets within personal brand building is, is how many people can be involved with, with one person. I mean, you know, we know many podcasters who are going down the personal brand route with, you know, 10 plus employees just building that personal brand. What are some other dirty little secrets of the personal brand ecosystem that, that you've discovered? So everyone that talks about this stuff, any guru that talks about building a personal brand online Every single one of them in every PDF you'll pay for, every email course you'll sign up for, even every coaching call will tell you how to write a great content waterfall system, how to do great content. It's all about the content, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they won't tell you that the actual secret, that's 50% of the job, but they pretend like it's 100% of the job. The other 50% is distribution. And that's the dirty little secret that everyone keeps from everyone. So, for example, if you want to grow on Twitter, I spent a year, literally last year, I spent a year creating content that was pretty much as good as the content I'm writing this year, but no one saw it. And the difference is, you know, so I write a tweet and a tweet thread and it's absolutely killer content and I'm 100% sure it is, but it gets a few hundred views. And this year, I will literally use last year's content as an example and compare it like for like 100% copy and paste. And the big difference is distribution. And what I mean by that is there are accounts that you can pay on Twitter who will retweet you. And it's usually something like $200 for 30 retweets. So like a retweet per day. And you build up a few of those. And so like, you know, I mentioned my 4,000 pounds, I reserve 1,000 pounds for distribution, which is a lot of money. But without the distribution, the other £3,000 is a complete waste of time. So the secret hack is distribution. And the reason why that works somewhere like Twitter, and the same thing happens on LinkedIn, by the way, with a slightly different process, is on Twitter, you kind of need to get the escape velocity. So you need to kind of start to get the reach, like you need to get past the first 50,000 or 100,000 views if you want a real chance to get viral. This stuff all gives you that boost, right? It helps your content get past that first hurdle of, vir of virality. And if you've created great content, it'll get to 500,000 impressions, a million impressions. If it wasn't that good, it'll just stay at the 100,000 mark. It'll just stop there. So what I'm looking for is, you know, 150, 250, like anything that gets over that mark is a sign that there are genuine people interested in this stuff. The same sort of thing happens on LinkedIn, but it's around comments. And I don't personally pay for any comments from anyone, but I have a good friend who has 200,000 followers on LinkedIn and people will pay him $50 a comment for one comment on their posts. But that's because the LinkedIn algorithm is all about the, you might notice on your LinkedIn algorithm, uh, Will Solomon commented on X post. Will Solomon liked this. That shows the, that piece of content in someone else's feed, which is the virality. So the distribution hack on LinkedIn is very sneaky. And actually, more commonly, people just swap comments with each other at different levels. So that's something that I've been doing on LinkedIn this year. I've got a little group of five people that I've been learning LinkedIn with. And we've all just agreed that we're going to have different coaches. 
swap notes with those coaches with each other and comment and like on all of each other's posts. That process in itself has really helped us all grow. But those are like the dirty little secrets. And I'm yet to figure out the hack for Instagram, but I suspect it's probably a very similar one. Dan Marisata, lifting the curtain on building a personal brand. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a bit of a different episode from us there. What did you think of it and what would have made it better? Let us know at hello at secretleaders.com. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I was your host, Will Stollerman. The podcast was produced by Alex Graham and Ruth Edwards. See you next week.